0: Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's virtual members only program of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Evelyn Dilsaver, chair of the Commonwealth Club Board of Governors and your moderator for today's program. The Commonwealth Club has, of course, shifted from in-person programs to virtual events, and we are grateful for the support of our viewers like you. And now, on to today's program. As attacks on Asian Americans repeatedly make the news, there's also a bigger story to tell what the challenges of the future are and how Asian Americans will help America be more competitive in this brave new world. Today, we're going to have an insightful discussion with prominent Asian American leaders, not only about the history of Asian Americans in the United States, but about what Asian Americans are contributing today and what all Americans should think about doing as we fight together against modern stereotypes and broken systems and face current and future challenges. I'm pleased to introduce our distinguished speakers. Dr. Dan Chow grew up in Arlington, Virginia and was the only Asian Asian American in his school. He worked for eight years on Wall Street and the Bechtel Corporation for 20 years, where he was the first Asian American to make partner and was later the chairman and president of Bechtel China, based in Shanghai. He spent over forty years working on U.S.-China issues, both professionally and through nonprofit organizations, and has held leadership positions at the U.S.-China Business Council and the U.S. Export-Import Bank, and is a current member of the National Committee for U.S.-China Relations. He's also very active in the nonprofit world, as he is a um, member of the Committee of One Hundred and is currently the chair of the 1990 Institute. And I will let Dan tell you a little bit more about the mission of the 1990 Institute. He also serves on the boards of Asian Health Services in Oakland and the Asia Society of Northern California. He holds a BA from Stanford and a PhD in international economics from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. Now Dennis Wu is chair of the Asia Pacific Islander American Public Affairs, San Francisco. Managing partner at Wu Hoover and Company, CPA advisory firm, and a retired partner at Deloitte, and past chair of the Commonwealth Club Board of Governors. He was born in the Philippines of Chinese ancestry, and Dennis is one of the best known businessmen in San Francisco, a longtime leader among Asian Americans in the Bay Area, and a mentor of mine for what, Dennis, 30 years now? He created Deloitte's US China Services Group and built out Deloitte's Southeast Asia Desk Program and he's previously served as chair of the Recology Board of Directors and chair of the National Association of Corporate Directors Northern California Chapter Board. He's had extensive community involvement. He was actually the first person of color to chair the Commonwealth Club Board, as well as serving on the boards of the San Francisco Ballet, San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, City College Foundation, and Self-Help for the Elderly. And he's received the Commonwealth Club Uh, California Distinguished Citizen Award and numerous other awards. So Dennis holds an MBA from the University of California at at Berkeley, and I want to welcome Dennis and Daniel. Now, what I want to do before we really get started is I want them to tell their story of how they came to the States, if they were an emigrate, or if they were born here, like I was born here. Um, They're... How, how they grew up in the United States during the time period that they were growing up. And I will let Dan start first. Dan, welcome.
1: Thank you, thanks, Evelyn. And thanks to the Commonwealth Club for uh, having me this morning. Um, I grew up as, as you mentioned in Arlington, Virginia as the only Asian American uh, in my school starting from first grade through 12. Uh, my parents were immigrants. They came over. Uh, my father came over with the U.S. Army, got his PhD, and became an astrogeologist, uh, seconded to NASA. Uh, so I grew up in a in a very um, Chinese uh, environment, uh, uh, being brought up, but not having any other Asian Americans to um, to play with. Um, I spent. Most of my time, uh, forty years worth, uh, after school, um, in business, uh, working first as a banker on Wall Street, and then moving to the West Coast and working for Bechtel for twenty years, um, doing international finance, working on project infrastructure projects around the world, and then uh, being asked to go to China and, and running Bechtel China. Uh, just a little, just to say a little bit about the nineteen ninety Institute where I'm chair. Uh, We have a dual mission, uh, first to uh, promote uh, constructive dialogue between the peoples of the U.S. and China, and then also to fight for champion fair and equitable treatment for Asian Americans. Very passionate about these two, both of these missions. Um, I spent my whole life working on U.S.-China relations. Um, I do think that our two countries are the most important in the world today. And obviously the situation uh, for yes, yes. and for U S China relations is, is not very good at this time.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Dennis, love to hear your story.
2: Uh, Evelyn, this is so different than whatever we've been used to in a club. I'm used to introducing people and not talking about myself, but, um, I was born in the Philippines, Chinese ancestry, born shortly after the war. People said to my mother, of all the times to have a baby, how could you pick this time? If she knew the war was going to start. During the war, a lot of my father's, we had a grocery store. My father was manager. Many of our American customers were interned in the Santa Tomas, University of Santa Tomas. my, my father and mother sold everything they could possibly sell, including my mother's jewelry, her engagement ring, her wedding ring, in order to loan people to provide food and medicine. And my earliest recollection is all about doing what's right. People would say to my dad, why is it KC that whenever you buy anything, it's one-third the price? And my father would say to them, I don't know, but this is what I paid for it. When towards the end of the war, MacArthur sent a special force in to liberate the prisoners, the intern you know internees because they had heard that the Japanese had mined the building. They came in, and two days after that, my uh, father literally disappeared for one week. He went there to visit some folks. Two days after, and they were waiting for him, and they called him in and said, "Casey, Casey, where have you been?" And he was asked to organize a group of people who were to feed the internees because they were so weak. They had food, but they couldn't even serve themselves. So he disappeared for almost a week. My earliest recollection of life was seeing American tanks come into Manila. Mm. As a child, I always thought of myself as an American. And in 1952, we had an opportunity to come to America because it was American friends that we, my father helped out wanted to get a private bill through Congress. and those days, only 100 Chinese could immigrate a year to allow us to immigrate because of what my father and mother did. So we tried to buy a house in Berkeley, and that's when I first met racism. We were not allowed to buy a house across Sacramento Street because we were Chinese. No other reason, but we were Chinese. We couldn't even look at them. But we did see a house my mother fell in love with. And fortunately that house was owned by the Methodist church and it was a home for the Methodist minister in Berkeley. And so my father went to the bishop and said, four months ago, you're in Manila preaching brotherhood. How could you not sell me the house? And he said, Casey, it's not us, it's the realtors, the white realtors. So my dad said, take the house back, sell it to us. And that's what they did. Meanwhile, a neighbor heard that we wanted to buy the house. And he passed a petition around against our buying the house. A few months later, we fixing up the garden. The irony of all ironies is this neighbor came up to my father and did the secret handshake for masons. And it turned out my father was a higher ranking mason than he is. They became best friends. His, his wife and my mother became best friends. We went back to the Philippines because inspectors from Congress did not come by. And in 1958, we were able to immigrate. The immigration law changed. My father was among the highest priorities. And we came here. We wanted for me to go to George Washington High in Richmond because there was an article in a march 1958 Reader's Digest that talked about George Washington High being the best high school in the country. Went all day around looking for an apartment. We had doors slammed in our face. The realtor finally said, a Jewish woman with a Jewish accent, Russian accent, said, May, why don't you talk to them? Because you have perfect Midwestern English. My mother grew up in Chicago. That's where she met my dad, and he went there mom rang the bell and remembered to this day. The woman said, Yes, dearie. My mother says, We're here to look at like the apartment. Come right in, dearie. Press the buzzer. We walked in. It was coming down from the third floor. She saw that we're Chinese. She says, Oh, I'm so, so sorry. I just rented the unit. Mm-hmm. With that, <clears throat> we went back to the car and we said, You know, we have a house in Berkeley. Let's move back to Berkeley. So went back to Berkeley I went applied to only one university got my bachelor's and master's out of Berkeley and I promised myself I was going to get back to this country. I promised myself I was learn to be American a white American I was going to learn to speak American to act like American and I did. I served 37 years at Deloitte. I have a reputation among my partners of having learned to outright whitey. But in spite of all that, I learned and I hoped that that was going to create opportunities for the next generation. It didn't work. So I got involved in a group called the Sen. We taught the young people American customs, American culture, things you don't learn in school books. That didn't work. We still are grossly underrepresented. So I concluded that I need to get involved in politics. We needed to vote, and that's how I got literally talked into chairing the the Papa San Francisco. And I have now become an activist in promoting and getting people to vote, all people, not just Asians. But in San Francisco, Asians are 36% of the total population. Latinos are 15%. LBGTs are probably about 10% after you eliminate the Asians and Latinos that are part of that. The Jewish community, we think, are about 20%. We are almost 80% of the population. We are among the most discriminated against by people, sometimes by each other. And we have to learn to work together. And this is what I hope we're here to talk about today.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dennis. It's funny, My um, I have a similar background to you, Dan. My dad ran away from home. We were in the Philippines and joined the U.S. Navy. He was there for 20 years, retired, and then joined again as a civilian. But I grew up on Navy and Army bases around the United States. So like Dennis also, my dad said, you're American. We're not teaching you Tagalog, which is the Filipino language. You mm-hmm. have to speak American. And like you, Dan, we were the only Asians in our uh, grammar school and high school. So uh, it's a very uh, telling story between all of us. So tell me what's happened. let's let's move forward and let's define who isn't an Asian American. And uh, Dan, I think you've got some slides that I'd like to um, have you show our audience here in terms of what are we trying to achieve today in this program, and then a little bit of understanding our past history. So I know Dan, you're sharing your screen at this point. And
1: can, can everybody see it?
0: Yep, let's go.
1: Okay, so the the real objectives of our discussion uh, this morning is really to um, make everyone aware of our past history, just as a foundation, so we can start talking about the future. Um, make people uh, educate people on the history of Asian Americans. Uh, It's about 180 years old, so I'm going to go through that very quickly. Uh, But the objective really is to focus on what we can do today to help shape the future. And, you know, right at the bottom here, it says, unite for American competitiveness. I'd like to kind of echo what Dennis said. Uh, We are Americans, and um, we want the best for this country, and we want to be competitive, And in order to be competitive, we need to think about uh, how we need to change. The world has changed, and we need to adapt. So, Evelyn, you asked uh, about Asian Americans. I'm going to start very basically, uh, who are Asian Americans? Uh, Well, first, I want to emphasize we're Americans. We do get asked that question all the time, which we don't think is fair. There's about 22 million uh, Asian Americans, 6.7 um, percent of the total population. Um, I'm not going to really go through this, but there's about 48 countries that are deemed Asian, um, whether it's West Asian, East Asian or north north or South Asian. Um, the uh, population here is quite uh, is quite skewed towards immigrants, mainly because uh, A- Asians were not allowed to come. Uh, in, in uh, larger numbers until 1965. So 66% are immigrants. Um, it, we are the highest, uh, fastest growing ethnic group, um, uh, including Hispanics, uh, in the U.S. today. Uh, there are six groups, uh, six countries that make up about 80% of Asian Americans, 40%, 45% are Chinese and Indian uh, and then you can see the others, 15% Filipino, uh, Vietnamese, Japanese, and Koreans. Um, however, um, and I'll talk a little bit more when we get to the model minority um, stereotype. Uh, Asians have the, Asian Americans have the largest gap in terms of income of, of all, all sectors, including including uh, Blacks, Hispanics, Whites, and so, and so forth. So, um, even though there are, we've made a lot of contributions, which we'll also go through very quickly, um, we also have a large uh, percentage of Asian Americans who uh, still struggle. Um, now, why did people come? Obviously, because of economic opportunity and because of the freedom and, and the values that uh, the U.S. Is, is known for. So... Um, Let's start a little bit with what's the world like today. It's, it's very different than it has been uh, over the past, um, let's just say 50 years. Um, and I've just put out a few of these. One what, what of the big changes, one, this is a, a digital world now. Technology, we're in a techno- technological revolution. Um, information moves at the speed of a click of a mouse. Um, we obviously have come through or are coming through a global pandemic. It's, it's brought the world together in a very negative way. Um, we've just gone through and we still have deep divisions in our, in the United States. Um, you can see that with the black lives matter movement, the anti Asian hate uh, occurrences. And we have the rise of China. You know, China has in, uh, increased in its influence, its economic power, its uh, political power uh, exponentially um, uh, over the last 50 years. And the U.S. finds that is challenged in terms of its global leadership. And we have to figure out how to deal with that. And then finally, at the local level, um, we're finding that our, our people people are being affected by what's happening overseas used to be we were a little bit more isolated but now uh, with what's happening with the the technology and with uh, other countries coming up with the development of the EU and the European Union um, we really do need to think more broadly about where America is going.
0: Dennis is there anything you'd like to add to that? Oh, you're on mute, Dennis.
2: I, I think that um, one of the things that people forget is the fact that um, while the world is changing, those of us who chose to come to America are Americans. We think of ourselves as Americans. and we have, And we will talk more about this later. We've made significant contributions, as all immigrants have made to this country. And this is what we want to focus on, is that we, we need to be focusing on that. And we need to understand that the issues, that things that are happening in other parts of the world are not reflected of we Americans. And history will we'll share with you as we go on in history. You know, what we did to, and we have a slide in here, of imprisoning our Japanese Americans at the beginning of the Second World War. is yep. one of the most atrocious things that we ever did. Um, we didn't do that to ancestors of Germany. We didn't do that to ancestors of Italy, but we did that to Japanese Americans.
0: Thank you. So Dan, uh, since uh, Dennis uh, spoke about it a little bit early, let's te- take a little uh, past view of the history of Asian Americans and tell us a little bit about that history. And as you said, we're not the only ones experiencing exclusion and hate crimes. So we can talk about that uh, after you're done with this segment.
1: Okay, thanks. Um, And and so as as Dennis mentioned, we we don't really wanna focus on the past. Um, There's been a lot of talk about the current uh, spike in anti-Asian hate Um, We're not really going to focus on that either. We're going to talk about why, but we really want to get to what do we all need to do to pull together and make uh, the U.S. as competitive as possible. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go through this uh, fairly quickly just to give you a foundation of Asian American history. Um, You know, the uh, Chinese Americans first came uh, to work in gold fields and to work on railroads, Um, There was a shortage of uh, labor in the West to work on the railroads, and so uh, the railroad companies brought in a bunch of um, Chinese workers who were willing to work for uh, low pay. Um, They were treated pretty poorly. Um, They had very dangerous jobs. Um, Hundreds, thousands of of, uh, Chinese were uh, cut, were were killed or died uh, working on the railroad. Um, there was a lot of discrimination. I think there were several thousand gold rush workers. Uh, but by the end of that gold rush days, there were only a couple hundred because they had been driv- driven out. Um, there are some basic reasons, I think, that, that um, flow through history of Asian Americans as to why we are viewed the way we are today. And that's because of impact on the economy. Uh, It's because of uh, views on values, uh, ideology, and then obviously international relations, the U.S. relationships with uh, various Asian countries. uh, You'll see as as we go through, and Dennis already mentioned, the Japanese internment during World War II. Um, But after the railroad was completed, um, the economy, the U.S. economy, took a dive, and there was a view that uh, Asian Americans were taking people's jobs. And so there was uh, the beginning of this disgruntlement that um, these foreigners were were taking jobs, and and they need to be kicked out. Um, There was all sorts of campaigns and and discussion about how bad Asian Americans were, that they were sick and diseased, and they were attacking women. um, And that resulted in a um, a number, quite a, quite a number of anti-Chinese, anti-Asian riots uh, in the 1870s and 1880s. Um, and I, I think this is a, a a period where people don't realize that, for example, uh, 17 Asians were lynched. Chinese Americans were lynched in Los Angeles, the largest lynching in U.S. history. Um, there were whole towns, uh, uh uh, Chinese-American, or I have to say Chinese immigrants because they were not uh, citizens. They were run out of town. Uh, About 800 were run out of town in Tacoma. They were put on, uh, they had to go to railroad and they were just sent out of town, lost all of their um, belongings. Um, And so this this swell of uh, anti-Asian, anti-Chinese sentiment culminated really in The Chinese Exclusion Act in 1882, which was the first legislation in U.S. history prohibiting immigration of any specific ethnic group. And basically, it said, it shall not be lawful for any Chinese laborer to come come over or remain in the United States. And that Exclusion Act um, was finally repealed in 1943. And that was during World War II when China was an ally. Of the United States. So continuing on uh, in the early 1900s the term yellow peril was coined. It was really coined by the Germans who were afraid of Asians coming across and taking over. Uh, the Japanese uh, were, the, were the brunt of that. Um, in the press or in pop culture uh, Asians have always been viewed as being sinister, um, and, and here are some some pictures uh, of Fu Man Charlie Charlie Chan, Bruce Lee, um, and even uh, uh, a couple of movies, uh, very popular movies uh, or TV series, Kung Fu, played by uh, a white uh, David Carradine, and um, the Good Earth movie, My Pearl Buck. Play by play. And this you know,
0: Dan, Dan, there's a question from our audience, which I think is appropriate, given what you're showing right now. So a cartoon in the New York paper depicted Andrew Yang, who's running yes. for mayor as a yes. foreigner. So why do you think the media still continues to propagate this false narrative about Asian Americans?
1: Mm. Well, that's a huge question. Me- the media um, is, in my mind, one of the biggest uh, ways that perceptions are formed. And, uh, and, and, that's goes for media in, in all countries. Right. And our, our media is basically controlled by, uh, white, white people. Um, and so, um, they get to put on in, in history, they, they focus on what they think is important and, um, and today, and, and you saw in the last four years, uh, not only mainstream media, but oh. has become very prominent. And so, a, a word uh, certainly by politicians, by in influential people, goes a long way and gets replicated many, many times. Yeah. Um, and it's pure racism. Uh, what's happened to uh, that cartoon on, on Andrew Yang is just racism. Um, you know, he's, hes I think he, I'm not totally clear, but I think he was born and brought up in, in New York, uh, New York city. Sure. He's as American as you can get. Um, he is running for mayor. Good for him. Yeah. So, um, and this racism has, uh, it's just trying to bring out um, negative views so that he doesn't win. Yeah. But I, I mean, uh, Big, big topic. Big topic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, you want to continue?
1: Yeah, so thanks for that question. Um, Dennis already mentioned 120,000 Japanese Americans were interned during World War II, Um, not German, not German, not Italian. Very sad uh, episode in our history and one where I think it was President Clinton um, Finally, apologized and said that this was racism. In the 1950s, uh, you have uh, concern over the Soviet the rise of the Soviet Union and communism, uh, and uh, Senator McCarthy uh, was very critical of uh, communism. And as as you'll recall, in 1949, Mount uh and the Chinese Communist Party took over China. And so it's also tainted with this red red scare idea. Um, Coincidentally, uh, in 1952, uh, the Immigration Act uh, in the U.S., the Act of 1952, allowed uh, Asian Americans to be naturalized and vote. So in 1943, when the uh, Chinese Exclusion Act was filled more asians could come and uh in 1952 they could be naturalized which means that which meant that they could vote so even in this time it was kind of a uh, strange time red menace so then we get to the mid-1960s uh and uh the myth the this myth of the model minority came about in the 1960s as you'll recall was um the Civil rights movement uh, focused on African Americans, and uh, we had uh, this this concept of model minority, which was that Asians were um, the model minority. They worked hard, they they stayed quiet, they did not uh, create, um, uh, did not were not out in the streets. And so, why didn't the other minorities kind of follow their lead because they were so successful? And, and this was an attempt to split apart um, Asian-Americans from other minorities. Um, so that was one real problem that, that uh, Asian-Americans are fighting against today. The other is that the, the belief that all Asian-Americans are the same. And as we know, they're very diverse. Um, there are very successful Asian-Americans, Asian but there are also others who are rather new immigrants coming that, that came over, that were refugees that um, are not as um, successful, are still struggling, um, have language barriers. Yep. Um, and um, as a result, um, uh, there's a, a segment of the Asian American population which is in poverty, a greater segment than any other minority. Uh, so we, we fight hard against this model minority myth. Uh, we can talk about talk about what's, what's happening today but it really started out in the mid-1960s. There was, you know, I'm just going to go through this very quickly. Filipino Americans came in for a lot of discrimination. They were working in the uh, uh, vineyards, uh, picking grapes and not getting paid, uh, not having um, the same kind of um, uh, pay and and conditions as others. Um, Larry Young would... Partnered and actually led the uh, United Farm Workers with Cesar Chavez, and then in uh, in Texas, uh, uh, mainly in Texas, when the Vietnam War ended in 1975, there were a lot of Vietnamese refugees came over as uh, as boat people because they fled in in boats. Um, a number of them ended up in, in Texas and wanted to do shrimp farming and were uh, discriminated against and attacked uh, for challenging in the economic, uh, they were economic competitors to, to uh, others. And then in 2001, uh, we have uh, 9-11 uh, attack on the World Trade Center and anti-Muslim hate um you know, there was there were a handful of, of terrorists who attacked the World Trade Center, but the U.S uh, government and people um, took it out on on, on the Muslim population. Um, so these um, spikes in hate um, continue. They, they started 170 years ago. Uh, and they periodically um, uh, come back as, as as it has now and I do want to say a little bit about um, spying cyber theft IP theft um, there there are there is uh, there has been IP theft uh, intellectual property theft cyber security um, and we need to face that um, the national security, of this country needs to be protected. Um, National security of every country needs to be protected and intellectual property needs to be protected. Um, uh, And there have been incidents, uh, but there is also a recent report from the Cato Institute on um, the amount of cyber or IP theft over the last 20 years in the US. And the findings are that um, there are a lot less than you hear. And much of that was not really very uh, national uh, security-oriented.
0: You know, Dan, there is another question along these lines of spying and IP theft uh, in today's world, of course, which is the focus on COVID-19 and where it originated. And it continues to have a negative impact on Asian Americans. How long do you think that, you know, people's memories fade over time, how best to combat that perception today for COVID-19?
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, COVID-19 has to be viewed in terms of what was also happening uh, in, in the U.S. You know, there was an election, that was an election year, and it was hyped up. Right, the 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 COVID nineteen was called the Chinese flu and the Kung flu and so forth, and so it was directly linked to uh, Asian Americans, Chinese Americans, mm-hmm. and I guess my point is, it's very understandable. You know, this this is uh, this was a big uh, negative event. People, five hundred and fifty thousand people or more have died. Economic. Um, The economy went, you know, went, went, um, basically closed down. People were suffering. People are angry. People are hateful. All pretty much understandable, but it doesn't get you anywhere. My my point is you can blame China, whether they, um, it came out of a lab or whether it came out of a, a market I think the the belief is that it did come out of China, okay. Um, and one can blame China, but then, you know, if if we had a, a flu that that out uh, that broke out in the U.S., you can blame the U.S., but uh, it's not like the U.S. people, Americans, wanted that to happen or okay. had to happen. Um, let's let's move on and and try to prevent. It from happening again. Um, so um, the memories, I, I think when, when COVID is under control, uh, the memories will fade. Um, but I believe that the um, negative views on Asian Americans will continue because of the rise of China. Um, so you, you've got uh, at least two elements looking uh, at the same time, and then as we'll talk later, there's more than that going on uh, as to why this is really fo- this is really happening uh, and causing the anti-Asian uh, hate spree.
2: Uh, Evelyn, if, if I could yeah. add to this. We had a program Sunday in Chinatown where we had a cross-section of folks from all over San Francisco. And one of the people who spoke is... Xinjiang, the CEO of Chinese hospital. One would expect of the COVID-19 was an Asian, was a Chinese problem. You would have expected major number of deaths and devastation in Chinatown. It did not happen. Hmm. It did not happen because Chinese General Hospital took very early leadership. And we literally shut down Chinatown. People masked early, as early as late January, early February. Um, We distanced. Our mayor took action very early. March 17th, we went to the shelter in place. She took a lot of criticism. Yes, she did. But San Francisco is recognized as one of the leaders in the country. You know, the truth of the matter is, the variant that has killed so many people in America is a variant that came from Europe. It was not the Chinese variant. It, it came, it may have come from China originally, but it went to Europe and it came in from Europe. And if, if this is something that was so chinese why have the most largest number of people been hit have been people who have not been Asians, even across the world? many many countries in asia took action and have basically controlled it and what required when you're fighting an international virus viruses do not discriminate right. viruses do not distinguish viruses attack humans they are an enemy of all of us and when we collectively do not work and fight against them, then we have bad results and this is what happened
0: yeah, thank you. Thank you. So, um, Dan, why don't we move to the contributions of uh, Asian-Americans? Because I think I'd like to really get to the discussion about why hate now, which many of the questions are coming up with. And what can the political leadership do on both sides to to move us
1: forward? OK, oh. do you just want to do this?
2: Yeah, let me let me talk about that. Um... So I I mentioned earlier and about the contributions of the 442nd Regiment. These are the young men who most of them were volunteers with their parents, were intern U.S. intern camp internees. They're the most decorated battalion in all of the United States military. They have more awards than anyone could ever possibly dream of, Gold 21 Medal of Honors, eight presidential citations, 18,000 awards. These are Asian-Americans contributing and giving back to our country. Uh, like all other immigrants, in the next slide here, we have also contributed in vast, vast ways. You know, if you look back at many of the con- inventions inter- that have been made in America, they've been by immigrants. Well, one yes. invention. One item that we all use so much of is Apple. That's by an immigrant, right? Steve Jobs is a child of an immigrant. He doesn't even know his father. He knows his father. But his father abandoned him. But look at all the other contributions. It's just a small sample of contributions by Asians. You know, we have this Kirk Chu Lee, first U.S. Military uh, Marine Commander, 20 times decorated Korean War. Stephen Chu, a Nobel Prize winner. Dr. David Ho, who invented the AIDS cocktail. I am Pei, world famous architect and responsible for the Kennedy Library. Stephen Chu, YouTube, a fellow member of Committee 100. Most recently, Cho Li Zhao. Zoom, we're all using Zoom right now. Eric Yuan an immigrant. Eric came up with the idea, because he was going on a train to go visit his girlfriend, who's his wife now, in Shanghai, and said, there must be a better way. He created Zoom, All right? The War Memorial, Maya Lim, an Asian. Yo-Yo Ma, an immigrant, born in France, learned his music in France, an American citizen. Jerry Yang, Yahoo. Locally, you know, there, there are other people. Those of you who love the ballet as I do, Tan Yun Yun, an immigrant, famous international ballerina. The Asian Museum, Jay Su, another Asian. This is our contributions in healthcare, oversized contributions. 8.5% of the total people in healthcare, 20% all right, are physicians. 9% are nurses. 16.7% are pharmaceutical people. 11% are in pharmacies and drug stores. You know, these are Asian-Americans giving back. STEM, so important. If we're going to be competitive in the world, STEM is so important. Asian-Americans are 13% of all STEM workers. 11% have master's degree. 31 percent of computer hardware engineers, 19 percent are life sciences, 18 percent are physical scientists, and 16 percent are people that are mathematicians. And, you know, I I just want to add something else that's not in our slide, but as we have been watching what's happening in the landing of the moon, the landing of the Perseverance, Rover, and Mars. The first historical flight of the helicopter in January and March, Mars. These were led by two Asian Americans, Alan Chen and Mimi Ong. These Asian Americans are making America great again. So right now, even now, while we're being attacked on Earth, our Asian Americans are contributing to the glory of America.
1: Can I just add something on more uh, grassroots level? The contribution. I, I went to the store the other day, or actually, my granddaughter was out uh, picking cherries in cherry orchards in in uh, near near uh, Sacramento, and she brought back some Bing cherries. And I was just reading up, and uh, Bing cherry was named after Ah Bing, the Chinese. You know, Chinese, who um, was a foreman on the on the cherry farm, and they named the the cherry after him. So in all aspects of life, whether it's business or technology or arts, culture, um, Asian Americans uh, have been tremendous contributors. and And we'll get to it. But I also want to mention that I think it was Newt Gingrich who said um, we ought to staple a green card to every Ph.D. diploma we hand out You know, because these people are are smart. They've been trained. And this world we we need um, as as many bright people in this country. So it's our intellectual property. Uh, and, and we'll come back to them. But it, it kind of also flows with the STEM, the importance of STEM.
0: Good point. So with all these contributions, so why the upsurge in anti-Asian hate incidences? Why now?
1: Yeah. Uh, just to, you know, this, this comes from the um, Stop AAPI Hate uh, website in their report uh, last in the year from March to March, there's 6,600 um, hate incidents and crimes uh, and deaths, right? Um, so why now? Um, there's that question about coronavirus as the China virus. There's there's no question that um, Asian Americans were linked, or especially Chinese Americans were linked to the coronavirus. And as as people know, you can't tell one Asian from another. So uh, if you look Asian, you're going you're going to receive um, some uh, discrimination. the The other part of it, uh, as I mentioned, was uh, China's, the rise of China and as a threat to U.S. global leadership, the um, political rhetoric uh, during, especially during the um, uh, presidential campaign, China was on the, in the news, um, you know, it, it, I, in my mind was a diversion of um, trying to divert the problems of coronavirus and our, our kind of poor response to that. To blame it on China, trade war, uh, and then the fact that we're in this this uh, digital world now, where the messaging gets multiplied thousands, thousand folds, and it doesn't matter what you say. It, it, you know, it can be fake news, outright lies. Um, you get, it gets picked up and and magnified. Uh, and then finally, there's just racism you know this has been been their convenient scapegoat Uh, china as well as asian americans Um, easy to deflect i mean or to project all your anger uh your hate onto a a third party and asian americans in china have been the recipients of that Uh, this is just kind of a, a map of the perfect storm of events leading up to the 6,608 hate incidences and crimes. Um, it didn't, it wasn't just uh, COVID started earlier uh, with the trade war with China, the concern of the rise of China. Um, and, and I want to say, and we can talk I mean, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, China, this is not, like the cold war with russia with the soviet union this was not military this is more economic Mm
0: -hmm. Uh,
1: and yet china is being portrayed as a threat as a whole of society threat um, in every aspect military economic political uh, uh, mind mindset right trying to trying to take over america's way of life Um, then you have the COVID. Outbreak. You have President Trump kind of associating it with, with China, um, the presidential election cycle. So you have a lot of hype, um, and the result is anti-China, a- anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, but, and-
2: but you know, Dan, this economic issue is not a new issue that we have tried. We have created. Some people have tried to create and do something bigger. We had the same issue with Japan, with the rise of Japan's economy at one time. And if you remember the Vincent Chin situation where he was murdered, mistaken for Japanese, because people were buying Japanese cars which were better manufactured. So instead of focusing at that time on producing better American cars, you know, we, we took to killing our own. For, and yet, who are buying Japanese cars? All right, GM and Ford uh, workers, because you look at the parking lot and they were buying the Japanese cars themselves. <laughs> so, unfortunately, when people feel threatened economically, sometimes they need to look at themselves in the mirror. When you look at the situation, the economic situation, where are all the products in Walmart being made? They're made in China. So, stop buying Chinese products if you're so concerned about. This economic situation. Very simple, right? It's under all of our control.
1: Well, I think the point is it's economic. Economics is a driver. And because of technology, the US has a lot more competition uh, from China, from the EU, from other countries. Uh, And the the way we have to look at it is we need to compete. no alternative and and so then the question is how do you compete and um the the question is uh, how can we use other 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 countries other people to help us compete uh to benefit our our way of life you know, you can look at china as a competitor and, and we should um, but china is also a huge market. Right. And China is also a a source of very smart people. And, and they do develop things. You know, it, it's not like everything China does is stolen from, from the United States or from the West. Right. Um, they also uh, have sent um, uh, people in space. Um, they're building a space state They They want to build a space station. They have, you know, uh, arguably, the the fastest computer in the world. Um, there, you know, the U.S. and China go back and forth as to who's got the fastest computer. Um, but it it is um, and the the U.S. was uh, critical of China, but it was also critical of all its allies in the, in the past few years, right? And so we've kind of made enemies uh, with, with a lot of a lot of countries. And so along
0: those lines, Dan, what would you like to see our political leadership do on both sides of the aisle to be more active hmm. in combating Asian-American and all hate crimes, frankly? It's not just against Asian-Americans.
1: Yeah. So For you and Dennis to that's, answer. That's, that's the, the, big, the big issue, right? I, I get yeah. um one, we, we need to get our house in order domestically. We need to unite, uh, as Dennis was mentioning. We, we need, and, and this includes, this is not just people of color. It's everybody. We, we need to compete with the rest of the world. So we need to work together. Um, we need to stop fighting with each other. We need to build our own systems, build up, improve our education systems. Teach our people uh, about STEM, but not just STEM, but every everything. We just need to put more emphasis in our education system. Um, we need to take a hard look at our international relations. What what is it that we as as a country really want to get out of out of this? What, what's our strategic goals? What is our strategic goal vis-a-vis China or Russia or the EU? Right. or A- ASEAN country
2: the Southeast Asian countries um, So yeah Go you know, going about that regards I, I believe that it's got to be focused on education. It's got to right. be focused on the future. And we need to walk walk away from this constant downgrading of our academics in high school in schools. You know, we limited algebra in San Francisco, for example, in middle school, because we felt that certain kids could not compete. And so the way we solve a lot of things is we reduce the competition. What we need to be doing is uplifting it. And so that's why a Papa San Francisco is working on two major initiatives. One major initiative is encouraging the study of STEM in middle school for all kids who have not been exposed to STEM. We have many, many kids who are not exposed to STEM. In a Committee 100 um, virtual call that we had with Congresswoman Thompson of Texas, she was talking about the challenges of helping Latina kids in Texas encouraged to study STEM. So we're working on a program that once we can get it developed in the Bay Area, that using Zoom technology, we want to be able to zoom to Texas and other places to encourage more study of STEM. In another call that we have at Committee 100, we we're chatting with Congressman Thompson of Mississippi.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And one of our colleagues raised the issue about education. And Congressman Thompson talked about the challenges of helping. Black kids in Mississippi, students, they need tutoring. We're working on a tutoring program. Asian kids and other high performing kids in high school are looking for things to do that are meaningful. We wanna mobilize them to tutor younger kids, middle school kids, younger kids and middle school kids, tutoring even younger kids who want to learn. I believe that most kids want to learn and encouraging them and helping them with their academics, with STEM. Again, through the magic of Zoom, we can Zoom across the country in tutoring and we can help these kids. We need to change our immigration policy back to the way it is. We need to do what Dan talked about. When we have these immigrants come over and they study for their PhD and they want to come to America, we have the best education. When they get their PhD diploma, you have stapled to it a green card automatically. We want them to stay in America, to continue to create and invent. That's why we're gonna stay ahead, right? Not cut them off, not send them to other countries, not discourage them from not coming, America's innovation has been from immigrants. But at the same time, we have got to focus on education. This is what we have to be doing. And yeah. so that's, it's several, that's gen, it's we,
0: several generations, Dennis. I think you're talking about because you can't fix the problem right now. Yeah. You have well, to reach down into the other next generation and help them understand.
2: And you know what? The young people that we're talking to want to be engaged. They want to do something. They need the help from those of us who are adults to help them get organized because they want to do it. I mean, this whole idea of tutoring, I was inspired by my son when he was in fifth grade. And the teacher asked if he could go and tutor kindergarten kids. Wow. If he could do that in the fifth grade, any fifth grader could do it. High school kids could do it. And our young people want to do it. We just need to create the mechanism. But we can do it today. Unfortunately, in some respects, because of what we had to go through with shelter in place, we've learned how to use technology. We've learned how to study at home with with, uh, Zoom and everything else. And we have the Internet. So through that magic, we can do a lot of things. We just need to think out of the box.
0: You know, I've yeah. heard from um, Colin Powell, his idea is to, uh, when kids graduate from high school, that they spend a year or two traveling, again, on a, on a stipend some, of some kind that the government would give them, because it opens people's eyes as they view other yeah. cultures. What do you think about that?
2: Love it. It's a yeah, form of of travel and learn.
1: Americans are, are uh, American-centric. Right. i mean we we believe we are the best and i believe we are the best we have the best systems um everybody ought to speak english uh and the rest of the world is uh english i mean english is required in china uh they may have more english speakers than than anywhere else in 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 the world um, but there's nothing that uh, is better than working with other cultures, working with other people, getting to know them. Then you become friends and you develop a little trust. There's less fear and there's less ignorance. Uh, So, you know, if we were, you asked the question, what should our leaders do? What should our country do? uh, I want to put in a pitch for immigrants. You know, we need to compete, right? The U.S. needs to compete and we need to build our labor force. That's what Dennis has been talking about. We need to build up our own people so they have the skills to compete. But as you mentioned, Evelyn, um, it's not, we we need to compete now, right? So this takes time. Uh, We will, will, I think, improve our education system and our emphasis on STEM. Uh, But at the same time, um, there are smart people out there uh, and they're hard workers that can help this country. So let them in. You know, immigrants are not a threat. They don't, actually not a very large percentage of the overall population. Um, we need smart people. We need hardworking people to fill every um, every sector in our society. Um, and so... I would say that everyone needs to think inside themselves. We need to examine our own biases. Uh, we need to look at our systemic biases. And we really need to look at it from the perspective of how do we improve this country. Um, and I think we'll find that these solutions by working together, by building our economy, if, if, you know our, our education system, um, you know, we can venture into budgets. Um, six trillion dollars was spent on wars uh, overseas by the U.S., and we're right now fighting over an infrastructure bill. Um, I, I think it, it's now below a trillion. But what what would we be like if we had put six trillion dollars into our own, own our own country? Uh, I, and I'm not advocating that that um, we be weak in our military. So don't get me wrong. I, I do think national security is very Yep. but let's get our... So, but, but just
2: think of the jobs that have nice. created by Apple, Yahoo,
0: yep.
2: Zoom. These are all jobs created, ideas created by immigrants and they've created a significant number of jobs.
0: And wealth all- and wealth for their employees.
2: Right? Yes, Yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. You know, the elderly seem particularly targeted by the races. So how can society better protect our elderly people?
2: Well, you know, in San Francisco, we started several things. Um, We started issuing tip cards. Mm -hmm. These tip cards were originally issued in Chinese. um, And they have now been expanded to nine languages, nine Asian languages, Cantonese, Mandarin, including, you know, others, Spanish, Tagalog, um, Vietnamese, Russian, Japanese, Korean, Thai. Um, And so that's one of the things we're doing. Um, It's something that APAPA pushed very hard for. And the police department finally came up with, you know, you press one for Cantonese, you press two for Mandarin, three for Spanish. The other thing that we have been doing is last weekend, we distributed um, 15,000 yellow whistles that say We Belong. This is uh, funded by uh, some folks out of New York. It's a yellow whistle project. They have distributed over 100,000 whistles across America. San Francisco alone has distributed 15,000. And because we've done such a great job of distributing them, they're going to be shipping another 40,000 to us in San Francisco for our papa to distribute. Um, and the sheer joy of the senior citizens when they get these yellow whistles, I, I think they, they feel a little safer. that they, they blow the whistles, and, and if other people hear it, um, you know, others can blow. Uh, the other project that we're working on is security cameras. We found that security cameras have been very, very effective in San Francisco. Uh, they're very effective in Japantown. They have 119 uh, cameras in Japantown. The incidences have gone down quite a bit. We're now look at the Visitation Valley. It's a very high crime rate area. Asians constitute almost 54% of the population. It's one of the lowest socioeconomic you know, level folks. They seem to be the forgotten people in San Francisco. Um, we've done a study, and we believe there's a need for 130 cameras. Uh, a Papa is going to be starting a GoFund to hope to raise a million dollars to fund those. Sometime soon, we'll, we'll be rolling that out. and uh, And all of there, this is really to help the senior citizens feel more secure.
1: Yeah, another program that's been... Uh, rolled out both san francisco and oakland uh, is the ambassador program uh where you have people volunteering to walk with uh anyone elders as well as anyone who feels uh insecure to their cars to their to their jobs um so that they feel safer um and but i i think and
2: and ben if i could those volunteers are not only Asians; they're blacks, they're browns, they're multiracial groups of people. Whites. Young people were volunteering their yeah. time.
1: O- old people too. Yeah. You know, um, I, and I, I, you know, all of this is very unfortunate that we have to do this. You know, th- there is a uh, systemic problem here. Um, it, it isn't, um, you know, six six thousand six hundred incidents and that's probably greatly under underestimated undercounted
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's very unfortunate that that i have to tell my kids when they want to be safe to look around to take a course in you know that like Hollaback on how to defend yourself how how do you respond when somebody attacks you verbally or or physically it's all sad and so we need to have more discussion Right at the community level, uh, among the stakeholders, all the sta- all the community stakeholders—government, um, uh, businesses, individuals of every ethnic uh, origin—to get together and talk about these problems. Um, our leaders need to stop trying yeah. to divide people.
2: Right.
0: And Dennis, you mentioned, I think you started to say there was some congressional bills going through. Could you talk about that?
2: Well, the good news is that the congressional bill has gone through. It's the um, bill that was put through by uh, Senator Hirono and Grace Ming. It passed the Senate, I believe it was 94 to 1. Um,
0: Kind of wonder who that one person was.
2: Well, Republican, (laughs) and there were five other Republicans who were originally against it that they, uh, I guess, decided to abstain because somebody was putting out a um, hall of shame. Um, It also passed the House. uh, I forgot the numbers, but uh, fairly substantially.
1: 362 uh, to 40 something.
2: Yeah, and President Biden immediately signed the bill. Uh, one of the things I'm very proud of is that Senator Baddila of California, when he heard about this uh, in a meet and greet event that uh, Papa had with him, became the first co-sponsor of the bill. Um, and it's been championed by, you know, our own Senate uh, speaker, Pelosi um, and others. And so it. You know, that's a very positive sign. Our new Attorney General, uh, Rob Bonta, is put together a hate crime task force that's going to start doing a better job of accounting for these hate crimes and incidences. Um, And so I I think there is an awareness and there's some good things happening. Uh, It doesn't help any when some of these Incidences are committed by some of the same people. Um, and, you know, when, when we have a district attorney in San Francisco, when this Thai gentleman got killed, said that, well, the poor guy who killed the man had a temper tantrum. Or we have people who are attacked, and we say that, well, you know, there's a mental situation. Well, perhaps they should have been locked up. Because what are we saying? A life is not worth anything, um, mm-hmm. and so I also think that our community needs to, you know, reevaluate what we need to be doing with people who have mental conditions
0: yes.
2: who maybe need to be institutionalized. I'm not talking about prison. I'm talking about mental institutions of some sort. You know, we we eliminated these many years ago to save money, but look at all the lives that are being just lost yep. you know, when you total all that up, you can't just measure that in terms of, you know, putting people in mental institutions where they can get the help they need. Uh, and that's something I think that we citizens need to think about and really focus on.
1: And one more thing I'd like to bring up is voting. Yeah. Um. Good thing about this past election, where there's a, there are a lot of people who voted. Um, the Asian American uh, population has grown and uh, can swing votes, uh, and and came out and voted. Um, I think as as I was reading up on the immigration acts that have happened, um, a lot of uh, times. Changes are made where you you then get the right to vote, but then there's all sorts of things that are put in the way so they can't actually vote, which is exactly what's happening.
0: Like what, Dan?
1: Well, when you, when you change uh, voting laws to when you uh, to make it more difficult to get to the polls, or um, you know, in in the past they put on taxes, um, it, it, and you, they redistrict. Um, so that, um, uh, you know, in, in, in make it more difficult to get to a, a, a voting station for rural people, you know, all those kinds of things um, make it more difficult, which is kind of crazy because our country is built on democracy and, you know, one person, one vote, supposed to be one person, one vote, Um and And so th- this is kind of systemic as well uh and and it just seems like we've been going backwards, kind yep. of forwards
2: but you know, Dan, just piggybacking what you just said, I think one of the more important lessons that our people must learn is we cannot take this right for granted. We must vote we we must. Understand that if we don't vote, then we get what we ended up with. Right. And one of the things that I have found very interesting in San Francisco, well, well, first of all, just going back to what Dan said, Joe Biden would not have won the presidential election if a significant percentage of Asians, Asian Americans, did not all of a sudden you know, they started to vote. And it is believed that they were the margin, as they were the margin for the election of the two senators. But more interestingly, in, in the Bay Area, in, in San Francisco, which I've been studying, um, I, I have got some corrected numbers and talking to some folks, 25 percent of the population in San Francisco are Chinese. Mm-hmm. Another 11 percent are other APIs. So that's 36 percent are APIs in San Francisco alone. are Latinx. We believe that 10% of the population are LGBTs when you exclude the LGBTs that are either Asians or Latinos, Latinx. There's another 10% of them. And we're trying to verify this, but we are guessing that There may be as many as 20% of our population that are Jewish. They may not be practicing religiously. But you total that up, and that's 81% of the population. We have all been victims. We have all been part of the minorities. We have all suffered hate. And we can all get together and understand but we need to work together against hate. We can make a big, big difference, right?
0: Very good point. You know, I asked about uh, political leadership. What can religious institutions do to reduce hate crimes? What role do they have to play in this?
1: Well, I can um, say a little bit about what's happening in Oakland. The churches uh, in the Asian community and in the black community um, uh, have gotten together, Have started talking. Um, there are things like uh, testing sites, vaccination sites um, that are being uh, championed by churches. Um, obviously they're the, the, the reverends and the pastors, the, the church leaders are very influential. Um, they can um, influence many, many people. Uh, Asians are are quite often Christians. Um, you know, our leaders in every aspect, you know, whether church leaders or political leaders, our teachers uh, in schools need to lead and need to have kind of a united song sheet, which we don't have, right? I mean, we have a very divisive uh, song sheet at, at this time. Um, And if I could just kind of put in a word for 1990 Institute, we're, we're all about education. Um, we believe that our youth needs to be educated, and especially around Asian Americans and around China. And in, in schools these days, you don't get that education.
0: Right
1: now, some states are mandating ethnic studies, which I think will be very helpful. Um, but when you hear stuff in the news, um, it's not always true, right? And it's very superficial, yes, right? You get a sound bite. So, um, we is 1990 Institute are, are running video programs and, and we're going to do podcasts, newsletters, and webinars. Uh, we have we run a teacher workshop for eight years um, to teach the teachers about important things um, focused around China and around Chinese people as divorced from the Chinese government and around mm-hmm. Americans and the history um, so I, I think all these influencers, Hollywood, you know, okay. they're important. How we're depicted, uh, greater roles for Asian Americans, um, how you know um how countries are depicted, uh, Arab countries, all you know, every time you see a movie, it's about terrorists, right? So you get a certain view.
0: Yeah.
1: And and we need to just kind of examine what we're doing here. Um, how we're building the perceptions that are leading towards division instead of unity
2: you know but going back to your question though earlier about what can the churches do um and what dan mentioned about oakland is a little different situation in san francisco because the black community is down to less than five percent of our population in san francisco a lot of the crime activities that are happening in San Francisco are created by out-of-towners.
1: Hmm.
2: And so one of the things that we need to address is mobilizing our community and making sure that these bad people coming in from all of San Francisco understand that San Francisco is not open to them. Um, they they tend to attack particular areas that are close to the freeway based on some of the studies that we've been doing. They're quick getaways. And we have suggested that when our chief of police, when they get them arrested, they need to make sure that these bad folks understand that they will hunt them down no matter where they come from. So, so that you know, we have a little different situation. Because it really is not, it's not so much our our people beating up on our own people. It's out-of-towners, mostly.
0: Interesting. You know, um, how can you then foster greater cooperation among the different minority groups? As, as Dennis, as you said, with the Latina X, with the Jewish, with the Blacks and the Asian Americans, how do we get that group together to unite?
2: Well, we, we did a summit on Sunday. Um from noon until past two thirty, uh, we had speakers from all parts of our communities in San Francisco: blacks, Latinos, Asians, um, even with Asian Japanese, Chinese. convention. Um, we had he the mayor. Yep. And LBGT, talking about these issues that we're addressing today. And talking about how we can work together, and I think we need to have more conversations among each other, with each other, and not at each other. And really, and and really, I thought a lot of people thought it worked well because we're talking with each other, we're meeting with each other, we're finding the fact that we had common issues, common concerns, common challenges, and. It's like a virus attacking cane. It it doesn't distinguish the color of your skin or your age. Hate is a virus. Racism is a virus, just like COVID is, just like the flu is. And we need to start understanding that. And we must understand that because it is that way, that we have to work together to fight it and not feel like it's one against the other. It doesn't work trying to do it that way. And,
1: and, and so one of the, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, just one of the calls to action is for people to get active, right? Stand on the sidelines. We need to talk to each other. And it's not an easy conversation. These are difficult conversations. Um, I always say, if not you, who? If yeah. not now, uh, when? Um. I think young people, especially, are um, galvanized. They're much more active. They want to do something. As as Dennis was saying, um, they can push uh, everyone to uh, have greater conversations. Um, that's that's. If we can't have a conversation, and and, and again, I'll bring in the international side. We we need to come. We need to communicate civilly. You know, honestly. Uh, constructively with other countries, and especially with China, because so big, can't ignore it.
0: So, so Dennis, what came out of the program on Sunday in terms of sustaining that conversation and continuing to build on uh, a partnership that you started?
2: Well, you know, as a result of that, for example, we're working on an op-ed piece and hopefully we can get the Chronicle to pick it up, <clears throat> condemning the attacks on the Jewish community all of a sudden mm-hmm. because of what's happened in Israel. You know, relating it to the same attacks on Asians, but this, this hate virus, all right, all of a sudden now, is picked up for no reason whatsoever. I mean, what have our fellow Jewish Americans got to do with what's going on in Israel? And why all of a sudden the increase in hate? Um, we're talking about doing, <coughs> having a conversation in the Chinese Talks program in in, Can, in Cantonese, talking about hate. So the, these are and and this is a conversation that we actually had with Tyler Gregory with you know with the Jewish organization who was one of our speakers, and and so. It's making it a lot easier, having met with each other, to pick up the phone and to talk to each other. You know, Evelyn, this goes back to something that I mentioned his name, Walter, Walter Holdley, who was the man who tapped me to eventually become president of the Commonwealth Club. And back before he became president was when we had the riots in Korean Town in, in Los Angeles. And before he became president of the Commonwealth Club, he was hosting luncheons among young people who were under 40 of various races all over the Bay Area because he wanted us to be able to pick up the phone and call each other if anything happened. And he tried it. And unfortunately, we were not able to continue it. But it's along those lines, we community leaders all over the Bay Area need to know each other. We need to talk to each we need mm-hmm. to know the goodness of each of us that we care about the same things. So when there is an issue, we can pick up the phone and says, hey, Joe, hey, Juan, hey, Sam, whatever, Sally. You know, can we talk? Can, what can we do together? And as I'm thinking about this, I remember what Walter tried to do with the Commonwealth Club. And I think it's maybe something that we in the Commonwealth Club should pull back together and use the club as a forum for community leaders all over the barrier to meet, to talk. I mean, even just socializing and talking to each other. You know, we, we have this beautiful deck once it opens up. <laughs> yes. For us just to get to know each other.
0: On the third floor. That's On a great idea.
2: Floor, you know, with That's a beautiful a view idea. or whatever. Yeah. But f- just for us to talk to each other to be able to pick up the phone, and this is exactly what happened on Monday. We we picked up the phone and we had conversation with three or four people, and another colleague has written up, up you know a, a piece press release that I haven't had a chance to look at. And so we have about five people working all together, who who met at this event, and that's all it took. That's all it takes. Getting to know think- each other.
0: That's a great idea, Dennis. We'll follow up after this program. You know, um, you've all mentioned mentoring. You mentioned the Ambassador Safety Program, the whistles and the voting. What can our audience do today if they want to be a mentor, if they want to be a part of the Ambassador Safety Program? Who do they call? How do they get a hold of uh, you, Dan, or, or Dennis or your organizations to start helping? Because to your point, everybody has to chime in and help.
2: Well, they can reach out to me, um, you know, through the information over there or reach out to me at, you know, papa at gmail.
1: Yeah, same. We have a a contact uh, uh, web uh, line. It's contact at ninety ninety Institute. We are always looking for people to get involved, to volunteer, um, what people can do, uh, they can donate. They can support whether time treasure or talent um, network. Um, it, it, it's all part of making us better. Every little bit helps. Um, get involved with the, your local community uh, organizations. Um, talk to your community leaders, your teachers, um, lead. You know, I, I, th- I think that i just give you a, a personal thing from way back. Um, you know, I was this Asian kid uh, and, and I was, I don't know, probably about 10 years old. And they were looking to um, elect officers in the school patrols. And I was this patrol and the teacher came and said, I want you to be captain. And I was like astonished at no concept that I could be a leader. And so this mentoring is very important uh, for for people out there in the audience. You can mentor somebody, talk mm-hmm. to people, talk to your family members, talk to your community, talk to your people at work, your colleagues. Have that conversation. In corporations, they have these DEI forums, the employee resource
0: groups. Yeah,
1: employee resource groups. It's all great you know, but, but, you know, go to the next step, Uh, consequent, consequent behaviors, promote people who, who do good things, right. Um, Give them better recommendations, put it in their, um, their um, job description that, or or their uh, evaluation, that they have to do something, don't sit by. And, And, you know, the good thing is, you know i I kind of went to school during the Vietnam War, and people were energized and I get the same sense now that people are energized um, work on climate change, work on whatever is of, of interest to you, but do something and, Dennis, and I'd ev- love for you, you know,
0: to add your thoughts
2: Evelyn, you know people can always reach me through the Commonwealth Club
0: Of course. <laughs> <laughs> what else would you add, Dennis, in terms of uh, last minute advice to our audience?
2: Well, my only advice to people is get involved, get engaged, speak up.
1: Stand by, speak up.
0: Speak up. Yeah. Yes. Speak up. I would agree. I agree. Okay, we're at the last part of our program, and there is time for only one more question. And so, in two or three words, uh, what is your hope for the future with respect to racism and bigotry? I know that's a tough one. I didn't uh, prep you for that one. But what's your hope? Let's put it that way. What's your hope?
2: You know, my hope is that it would disappear. And, of course, I had this crazy, crazy idea that... Maybe the only way it would ever disappear is kind of like what happened in England, where once upon a time, they're all at each other's throat and then they all became Englishmen. And I I would like to see us drop all of the, you know, adjectives of Asian American, um, Spanish American, Irish American, and we're just all Americans. And I fear that that may not happen unless we decide that the next Four, five, six generations, were just all intermarry. So we all end up just being Americans. Just
0: being Americans.
2: We just need
1: to all be just Americans.
0: Dan?
1: Um, You know, obviously, it's a very difficult subject. Uh, Not going to happen overnight, nor probably for 50 years. We all need to think. uh, You know, if, if we can think from the perspective of the common good was good for our country, was it good for our community, was good for your family. Um, Hopefully, you come to a a realization that if we work together and just not view people by the color of their skin, uh, that we can make progress. So I'm hoping that we can make real progress.
0: Great. Thank you. Our thanks go to Dr. Daniel Chow, board chair of the 1990 Institute and member of the Committee of 100, and Dennis Wu, chair of Asia-Pacific Islander American Public Affairs, San Francisco, managing partner at Wu Hoover & Company and past chair of the Commonwealth Club's Board of Governors. We also thank all of you, our viewers. I'm Evelyn Dilsaver, and now this program of the Commonwealth Club is adjourned.